Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm best-selling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacy Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the paleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, listeners. We're on episode 329 of the Paleo View, if we've done our simple math correctly. Hi, Sarah. I, I'm, I feel like now that we've started like listing the episode number at, that, at the top of the show, it makes me feel like nervous every single time. Like, what if, what if we didn't add you know, last week's number plus one correctly. What if we can't count? I I don't. And so I I know there's like probably some listener out there too, who is like, like uh, obsessively like now going back and checking like, wait, was that what it said in my like (laughs) iTunes feed? I don't know. Cause by the time it goes into the feed, we have like triple and quadruple checked. And we have people that are better at simple math than us. Check it. (laughs) However, Speaking of favorite lines, if we weren't able to do such a thing, I would need to give you a hard time because when you were at my house, I think you were trying to make the coffee maker. You were trying to do something that was like new to you, but not highly, you know, scientific or complex. Not not highly skilled. And I was like, do you want some help with that? And you go, no, I have a PhD. I can figure it out. (laughs) It's like such a smart aleck comment. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to help you anymore. Um, No, but it was, I mean, I was frustrated because I could see how the pieces went together, but they just (laughs) weren't doing it for me. And, and I just like, I, I was at that point where like, I see how this is supposed to work. It looks like something a, you know, five year old could probably make function. I need to be able to do this myself. I have an advanced degree it should come in handy at some point in here. <laughs> well, also, you probably hadn't had coffee yet. So you were trying to get coffee. <laughs> just trying to... It's funny how much you realize, like, just how out of place you feel in someone else's kitchen. Like, it's of all the aspects of visiting someone, like, that's the piece that is like, but I, I, I don't know where this essential kitchen tool is. And it, it's like a completely disorienting experience. And then get back in your own kitchen and you're like, ah, so, so, so much. I, I know how to make coffee with my coffee machine. And I don't <laughs> need to like struggle to make pieces that obviously fit together, fit together. Because I've done this every single morning for however many six or seven years that we've had the same coffee maker. Yeah, it didn't help that like our kitchen slash house hasn't been fully put back together since we had the reno. So I have only seen your kitchen halfway put together. <laughs> That's it's true. So far, I saw halfway put together old kitchen and halfway put together new kitchen. I think it's I a little say, more than halfway. It was more than half. It was probably like 92%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, this week, podcast listeners, we do in fact, have a topic for you. But before we jump into the show, I do want to 
thank our podcast sponsor this week. Um, as you know, listeners, we've been trying to get more companies that we personally use and love to gift you with discount codes for listening to the show. So this week, Thrive Probiotic, which is Sarah's recommended brand, and I didn't know that before months ago on the podcast, you mentioned it without any sort of sponsorship <laughs> as being what you love and use for your family, um, is offering 15% off with code PaleoView15. And you can get there by going to thriveprobiotic.com slash the PaleoView. Um, what's interesting to me about Thrive Probiotic is that it is a room temperature pill that has live cultures in it. And I want you to tell me how that's possible. How does it work? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we're going to talk, you know, we've, we've got a question that's completely sort of relevant to talking about probiotics. So we'll, we'll talk about the, you know, exact species and in, in just thrive, uh, I'm sure in this podcast, but in direct answer to your question, just thrive is soil-based organisms. So soil-based organisms are quite unique. They're all from the genus Bacillus. And bacillus are incredibly resilient. So they, they normally live in soil. So they live in all different kinds of temperature, all different kinds of pH. They can survive on a huge variety of substrates, which basically means bacteria food. And they're, they're incredibly resilient. And our, our normal exposure in life would be playing in the dirt, eating, uh, you know, a little bit of organic dirt on the vegetables that we grew in our backyard or got from our local farm. And as our our lives have sort of gotten more and more hygienic, these are uh, bacterial, like really important probiotic species that we're getting exposed to less and less and less. And what's really cool about them is, I mean, they're well, they are foundational species inside the inside the gut, and they actually create an environment inside the gut that is basically conducive to the growth of other really important probiotic species. So they actually like condition the gut environment so that other kinds of bacteria like bifidobacterium and lactobacillus can thrive. So you can actually like improve your lactobacillus levels by taking a bacillus-based supplement, which is super, super cool. But because they're such resilient bacteria, they're spore forming. So that sort of encap encapsulates them, which makes them really uh, resistant to degradation by stomach acid. You can actually cook with them up to, like you can cook with a Just Thrive probiotic up to something like 450 degrees Fahrenheit. I'd have to double check that number, but you can actually like mix it in with hot food. You can open up the capsule and put it into a, you know, uh, put sprinkle it onto your meal um, and it'll still they'll still make it through your digestive tract alive, which is a huge limitation in like normal probiotics are typically lactobacillus and bifidobacterium based. And the, the reason why most probiotics are, are based on bifidobacterium and lactobacillus is based on two things. One is they are incredibly important probiotic species and they're the best understood probiotic species in the human gut. And two, they're easy to grow and easy to put in a pill. Like they actually were the first probiotics basically because it was the easiest thing to, to turn into a probiotic supplement. Not because there was great science showing that if you took a bifidobacterium or lactobacillus-based probiotic that that would improve your health. And it turns out that they won't take up residence when you take a normal 
you know, bifidobacterium lactobacillus based probiotic, they won't actually take up residence in your gut unless you're like doing all of the things right to have a healthy gut environment, which includes having exposure to soil based organisms like the bacillus in Just Thrive. Once you fix your gut environment so that bifidobacterium and lactobacillus can grow in there happily, you don't need the probiotic anymore because they're growing in there happily. So it's kind of an interesting like catch 22 in terms of uh, bifidobacterium and lactobacillus based probiotics. The exception is things like the prescription strength ones that are just such high numbers of bacteria in the supplement that even if they can't take up residence, they can still have a little bit of activity uh, on their way through. But most of those uh, probiotics, they are may, at best about 5% surviving their way through the digestive tract. And more typically, it's like 1%. So you have to literally take trillions in order to get a measurable effect. Whereas bacillus, because they're spore-forming and so resilient, they're 100% still surviving by the time they even get to your large intestine, which is it's really cool. And Just Thrive has done... Um, so they've specifically selected very, very well-studied bacillus species for their probiotic, but they're also sponsoring additional research with their formulation, with all the collection of, of species, and showing some really exciting results. So I, um, I've been, I so I first was introduced to them before they were just Thrive, and they only had a formula that you could get through doctors. Um, so just Thrive is. The version that like anyone can buy, you can obviously it's it's best if you use the coupon code and you're going to get the best deal. PaleoView15 at thriveprobiotic.com forward slash the PaleoView, but you can get just Thrive probiotics sort of all over the place now. Um, it used to be they and they still have a formula that you can only get through a physician, but it used to be their only offering. And I was introduced to them at a nutritional therapy association conference. I want to say. Four, three years ago, I think it was 2015. So I think it was coming up to four years ago, and um, and I was super, super impressed. I, you know, I met one of the guys who who um, is responsible for the scientific development. Uh, we like nerded out instantly. I was like super impressed, and I got to take a few bottles home, and they were amazing. And then when I tried to get more, I was like, oh, I, I can't just get more. So um, I was, uh, you know, this was also in the, in the time frame when the other soul-based organism probiotic that shall not be named because it has been recalled and reformulated with no scientific evidence to support the new formulation. And then the old formulation has been recalled due to, um, you know, allergen, uh, contamination. It's pretty, pretty much all went downhill over the last, uh, like year and a half or so for that particular probiotic. I never, um, it never worked for me as well as the Just Thrive version. And so once Just Thrive actually came out, I like leapt on it and I take Just Thrive myself. I've been taking it for, well, since they came out. So I'm going to say like a year ish. Um, and, uh, my, you know, my, uh, youngest daughter, eats probiotic foods like they're going out of style. So I don't really worry about probiotic exposure for her. But my oldest daughter, um, we started with her when she started getting really bad acne. And even though acne is still, you know, a struggle for her, <laughs> mostly because she struggles with the um, 
hygiene routines that are required because the time investment is more than an 11-year-old has patience for. But uh, but the taking Just Thrive has actually really, really helped her acne as well. So um, it's, I, I mean, I, I, I'm always impressed when I discover a company that really is doing their research and really cares about getting it right. And Just Thrive is one of those, which is why they were an amazing sponsor to to invite to sponsor an episode of the show, but also like why I can wholeheartedly recommend them as a probiotic. I have to say that I don't really notice much when I am consistent about taking probiotics and I do notice a reduction in sugar cravings when I am consistently taking Thrive Probiotics. So I think when you said um, that you notice a difference, I think that's hard for a lot of people. Like it's not the kind of thing that you might necessarily notice right away, especially if you're already doing so much for your health. Mm -hmm. But there are little things, like you said, if you have acne or other things um, related to gut health that you might see, which is where we're going with the show. We promise we figured it out. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the other things that I just want to say real quick is when you are looking at probiotics, um, oftentimes they are problematic for um, those with allergies, specifically dairy. Mm-hmm. I remember when we were having to be really careful with dairy-free early on, almost all of the probiotics that we were looking at had been started on dairy. And so Just Thrive is, is one of those that is dairy-free as well as a bunch of other things free. But I just want to point that out because that was um, something that I'd read, oh, it doesn't really matter, you know, by the time it gets to you, blah, blah, blah. But it made me nervous to take something every day that was started off of something I was trying right. to avoid. So um, it's it's good for those people that have allergies as well. So just, you know, make sure you're looking into that if you are going to jump into a probiotic routine based on what we're going to talk about today. And now is also a really good time to say, like, we're talking about a supplement. So guys, that means check with your doctor first. Um, you know, anytime we talk about something that is a supplement or a medication or, you know, anything that sort of qualifies in that uh, therapeutic level of something, uh, you always want to have a healthcare professional just supervising you as you, you know, you want them to give you the okay. Um, you know, doctors are generally fans of probiotics. So, probably won't be a problem, but like check with your doctor, make sure they're on board and make sure that they're following you and monitoring you and making sure that everything goes okay. There are cases where people have allergic reactions to probiotics, even though, you know, they're not anticipating that. And it's, it's a surprise, right? It's, it says it's not, you know, it's a gluten-free formulation, so it's not an allergic reaction to gluten. It's something else. Um, and there are times where people will have, um, you know, especially people with very severe gut dysbiosis will sometimes have sort of unintuitive responses to probiotics, right? We, we can measure what's going on in your, uh, you know, gut with a stool analysis. We know you need these probiotics. We add these probiotics and it exaggerates symptoms. And that's where somebody like a functional medicine specialist needs to get in and tinker and, and help you out. But, you know, so there are, it, it's, I don't want to, it's a completely safe thing, but there are exceptions. 
always when it comes to supplements. So uh, as as we move forward, this is the the big, huge red letter disclaimer of we're talking about a supplement. Check with your healthcare provider first. Good reminder: we are not medical professionals. <laughs> so even after all of that schooling. I was going to say, <laughs> but Sarah has his PhD, so she'll figure out how to make coffee. Dag, damn it. Right. <laughs> uh, if that's in the blooper, then this makes no sense. So make sure you listen to that. Okay. Um, question. We have a question this week. Do we not? <laughs> we do. And actually, this. so this is a question from TD um, that we received – um, I think in the sort of aftermath of we did a, a series of of shows about the importance of high vegetable consumption, uh, sort of talking about macronutrients in general. Uh, we talked about um, the carnivore diet in a, a fairly disparaging way. And this was sort of a follow up to uh, especially as we got to talking about the carnivore diet, um, which I, I think is a really important question because TD's um, experience is not unique. And I have read very similar stories. Um, the, you know, and I definitely recommend going back and listening to those shows and put links in the, in the show notes, but especially like the, the carnivore diet itself has gained traction because of exactly this kind of experience, um, which is why I think it's really important to, to address because it's, um, Variations of this are fairly common. So I will read TD's question. Be glad if you're still able to tolerate fruits, vegetables, and anything that is fermented, cultured, aged, etc. I was going along quite well on paleo, then low carb, until I started to get a serious reaction to various foods. I had eliminated gluten a couple of years ago when I found out it can be bad for people who've had their gallbladder removed. I had mine out at 19 years old and I'm now 61 or who have issues with IBS or skin problems, rashes, hives, psoriasis. Cutting it out helped a lot. Then I started breaking out on my face when I would eat any dairy, including aged cheddar, butter, etc. My face would start burning up and developing inflamed pustules all over, so I gave up all dairy too. I needed to lose weight, so I adopted a ketogenic diet, very low in carbs, and that helped with certain digestive issues for the most part, but not all the way. It also cleared up my psoriasis, improved my mood a bit. I've had periods of severe major depressive disorder since my late teens and panic disorder so bad I couldn't step out my front door for years without my bowels emptying within seconds. And it allowed me to lose a good amount of weight when I kept fat intake on the lower slash moderate side instead of high fat. Recently, however, the eruptions on my face were coming after eating very small amounts of vegetables like several slices of cucumber, perhaps two or three cherry tomatoes with olive oil and apple cider vinegar in a salad. Even fruit or a pickle would cause it, and I was at my wit's end trying to figure out what had caused which outbreak. Finally, even spices on a piece of chicken, such as granulated garlic or cayenne pepper, could no longer be tolerated, and I just wanted to cry as it seemed anything I ate triggered an outbreak. Something as simple as mineral water with natural flavors, like mango would cause it, chamomile tea, etc., etc., all had to be eliminated. Now, for the past few weeks, I can't eat anything but meat, chicken, fish, and water. No coffee, 
No teas of any kind, just water to drink. I haven't tested all fish, but wild salmon is okay so far, and I haven't tested other seafood yet. I think I'm still getting over the shock of what has progressed and don't want another bad outbreak. I feel fine now, thankfully. I haven't had an outbreak in the past three weeks, and my digestion feels very good, and mood is now much better. But I'm still a bit stunned to find myself in this position. So as I said, if you can tolerate certain foods in your diet, be grateful and have the utmost respect for your health at all times. Keep at it and don't let anyone pull you off track with junk foods, drinks, etc. Just be happy to be healthy because it's all we've got. Life is too short to mess without health. All the best. My heart breaks because I have... I don't want to say I have so many of those problems, but I identify with so many of them with the food limitations and the everything out of the digestive system um, and skin problems. And I, you know, it's been many years for me to try to tinker and figure out what my body needs. And I, I know where we're going with this. And so I think, you know, what's important is, I'm going to, I'm going to just be really frank. Like when we talk about carbohydrates as being a necessary component of healthy living, we talk about it because there can be such a boomerang effect when we go low carb and there aren't the healthy bacteria for our, our gut to survive or our hormones to fully operate on and, and different kind of facets that play into that. And it can lead to much longer term effects that you don't realize until, you know, the bliss of that weight loss goes away and you've got all these negative things on the back end. And I just, I feel for people who've gone through that because I myself went through that. And now, you know, I'm having to be diligent about getting myself back to a healthy place. And you have to be that much more careful with stress and with sleep and with all the other things because your system is more fragile. And so um, the hope story is that there is life after low carb, even without a gallbladder. Um, And, you know, for me, once I was integrating more carbohydrates, I felt so much better, but it is, it is difficult and it is, you have to be careful with it. And it, it, I know, Sarah, you're going to talk about um, how one can do this in a healthy way and why it's important. But just from the perspective of someone who has kind of been here and lived this, I just want to give like my, my deepest sympathies for the struggle that TD is going yeah. through. I mean, nobody wants to be only eating meat and water. I mean, maybe somebody wants to only be eating meat and water, but I think like, even if you're on a carnivore diet, let's be real. You're, you're sometimes looking at some foods that isn't just meat and water and thinking, uh, I wanted to eat that. Um, and so I'm, you know, and she's clearly like, be grateful if you can eat, um, you can can feel the frustration in her question. And it, I think it's, you know, it's completely valid given TD's experiences. Um, you know, we have talked on the podcast before about adverse reactions to a ketogenic diet, one of them being gut dysbiosis, um, because ketogenic diets don't actually provide enough fiber to support a healthy and diverse gut microbiome. Low-carb diets can do that as well. Um, we also did a podcast, um, I think, just in the last few months called uh, The Case for More Carbs. So I definitely recommend checking out 
um, that because it really has to do with the roles that insulin play in human health that go beyond just glucose metabolism. Um, and so, you know, I think there's, um, I think, Stacey, both you and I started our health journeys this way, right? We started a health journey uh, being uh, not just overweight, but obese and viewing our health solely through that lens. If I can lose this weight, everything will be sunshine and roses and my life will be perfect, right? If I can lose this weight, I will be healthy and energetic and all these wonderful things. And through weight loss and that part of our journey, which brought us to paleo, you know, autoimmune protocol, all those things, we discovered that health was much more complicated than the weight on the scale and that eating and sort of lifestyle factors to improve our health was much more complicated than figuring out how to lose weight. And we both have come to a place where being healthy is sort of, um, it's the first thing, right? So uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I've sort of often say this when I'm interviewed in summits, right? It's about getting healthy in order to get thin rather than getting thin in order to get healthy. And that if I have to choose one or the other, if they're not compatible because of my Hashimoto's thyroiditis or my current stress levels or hormone environment or whatever health, other health challenges I'm going through, if I'm going to choose between thin and healthy, healthy is going to win every time, but only because I've gone through this experience and and learn some of these lessons the hard way because we both also had the recovery after low carb diets. Like it, it really can um, disrupt hormones, break your metabolism. Um, and there's, there's gut health challenges that come after and not just, not just low carb to lose weight, but also this is an issue with gaps in SCD diets. This is an issue with long-term low FODMAP diets. They don't provide enough of the right type of fiber to support a healthy and diverse gut microbiome. And as I'm writing this new microbiome book, it's really hammering home for me the like number one issue of high vegetable consumption for, for the fiber. But so what do you do when <laughs> you have these very overt reactions when you eat those vegetables? Like I think that's a, that's a really interesting question uh, born out of this very, very frustrating experience that TD has gone through. And I think there's there's a couple of things that I want to sort of mention off of the top. And, and one is that uh, it's not completely clear to me that this isn't an autoimmune process. So it is possible that what TD is describing is hydrandinitis superativa, which is also called HS for short, which is an autoimmune skin condition that is characterized by sort of um, deep pustule type cystic type acne, uh, typically uh, in very private locations, but it can be anywhere in the body. And so if that's the case, I would definitely direct TD. I mean, everything we're still going to talk about is still going to be relevant. Um, and it's it, this is all very relevant to our autoimmune listeners as well. But I would also sort of direct TD to, to do some research into the autoimmune protocol. We've talked about it on a number of podcasts. And of course, my website is uh, sort of like resource central for the autoimmune protocol, uh, as, as are all of my books. So I would sort of like, that's, I kind of want to make sure that we, we talk about that for a second and then kind of get into the gut dysbiosis aspect of this. Um, because this type of symptom, it, it is, um, 
or the other the other one that you see fairly commonly is people will have GI symptoms. No matter how much vegetable or fruit they consume, they'll have terrible gastrointestinal symptoms that are eroding quality of life, and they only feel good when they're only eating meat and water. So you kind of get these these two types of things, skin versus GI, but they're they're both very easily tied back to gut dysbiosis. There's something called the gut-skin axis. Uh, there's actually a gut axis with every part of the the human body, as I think we talked about last week in the podcast. But the gut-skin axis is probably the second best understood after the gut-brain axis. Um, what's interesting is they have tied, researchers have tied the microbiome to pretty much every skin condition. So things like HS, but also psoriasis, eczema, acne, uh, rosacea. So like things that are autoimmune, but also just inflammatory. Um, and so they, they've tied back, you know, gut composition, the types of bacteria that are growing in your gut to those conditions. And there's a variety of, you know, different interventional studies that have changed gut microbiome composition either by antibiotics or probiotics or prebiotics or diet changes, and that has cured the skin condition. So there is a, a very, very tight link, probably mediated through sort of a combination of immune system, uh, neurotransmitter, right? There's sort of like a, a gut brain skin axis so sort of a neurotransmitter system and probably also the endocrine system are probably the signals that are going from the gut to the skin but there is a a very very tight link between gut health and skin health and it seems to go both ways so there seems to be something about leaky gut and leaky skin like eczema is a type of sort of leaky skin condition that seem to go together as well and that might have to do with like a root cause in common. They're both barrier tissues and barrier tissues. Uh, if you have, for example, a genetic defect in an important protein for barrier tissues, you would see that impact all of your barriers, but also our, our various barrier tissues like skin, lungs, sinuses, gut barrier, they require certain nutrients to be healthy. Um, vitamin A is really important, especially animal form of vitamin A, Vitamin D is really important. Zinc, um, basically all of these sort of antioxidant nutrients are really important. Um, so there's certain nutrients that um, our, our barriers really need in order to function. So sometimes the link is more like it's not necessarily which is the chicken and which is the egg so much as we're talking about the entire poultry family. And that's and that's why there's, there's a link, right? There's this like root cause in common. So I, I wanted to sort of get that part of the discussion out of the way and then start talking about gut dysbiosis and, and what do you do in this case of severe gut dysbiosis where um, symptoms are interfering with quality of life? How do you get over that hump of, well, okay, so I know that I'm supposed to eat you know, eight or more servings of vegetables a day. Uh, and some fruit in order to get enough fiber and antioxidant phytochemicals to feed a healthy gut microbiome. Uh, now would be a good time to list some other really important things. We've covered some of this on some recent podcasts because I'm a, now a microbiome nerd, so this is all I want to talk about. It's uh, <laughs> pretty much what well, it's. It's really because I like talking about poop and making Stacy uncomfortable. We haven't gone there yet. Well, we will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, some other. If there's things. anything guaranteed on this show, it's uh, an true. effort to make Stacy uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I and Canadian let's... jokes, just to be clear. I will say avocado for you, but then I will also say poop. So you know, <laughs> give and take. Um. So. So there's, there's let, like, let me do this like quick summary of the most important things for gut microbiome health. Uh, eating lots of vegetables uh, and a diversity of types of vegetables, uh, some starchy, some non-starchy, some fruit. Um, if you're not following the autoimmune protocol, nuts and seeds are very good for the gut microbiome. Um, fish is like the best protein. So our microbiome actually needs us to eat adequate protein. Our our bacteria actually have protein requirements, so they actually need us to eat enough protein. And their favorite protein is fish protein by far. They also need us to not eat too much fat. They um, really don't do well in a high-fat environment. And they do really well with monounsaturated fats and omega-3 polyunsaturated fats. Um, In terms of like omega-6 and saturated fat, moderate is much better. Like Definitely, they don't like a high saturated fat environment or a high total fat environment. Um, They um, respond to our hormone environments. So that's a really interesting thing because it means when we're stressed, that changes the type of bacteria that want to grow. So being stressed will cause dysbiosis all by itself. Vitamin D deficiency. So our, our gut bacteria are very interestingly, very, very sensitive to the nutrient density of our diet they can synthesize basically like all of the B vitamins um, and vitamin K2 is pretty much what they can synthesize. So everything that they can't make, they need us to eat. So all of the minerals and the fat-soluble vitamins and vitamin K1. So they need us to eat vitamin A, D, E, K1, and all of the minerals. And that if you're deficient in selenium or zinc or magnesium uh, or vitamin A, uh, you'll actually lose microbial diversity. And those first species to die off are the bifidobacterium and lactobacillus. They're the ones that are most sensitive to the environment. And as soon as the environment in your gut isn't quite right, they're the ones that you'll see uh, dying off and you'll see pathogenic strains like E. coli take their place. So um, so all of those high, high fiber, high phytochemical um, adequate protein, especially fish protein, uh, moderate fat, high omega-3s, get vitamin D levels dialed in, uh, manage stress. Uh, our gut bacteria love it when we're active. So living an active lifestyle actually dramatically increases uh, the sort of what are called commensal bacteria. So these are sort of like the the symbiotic, um, but not particularly they're, – they're typically um, – part of the community, but not necessarily like this, like super probiotic guys. Um, so it would be necessary species, but they're more, they're more like important for there to be a dynamic community rather than them directly impacting our health by themselves. Um, so those types of bacteria, uh, grow really, really well when we're active and our gut bacteria like us to get enough sleep. So like all of those things together, and there's mechanisms behind each of them, are the most important things. And then the rest of it is exposure to a variety of new types of species, which you get, as we mentioned, playing in clean organic dirt, you know, spending time outside, eating organic vegetables that haven't been, you know, washed super well, 
um, just, you know, being, being around, you know, around farms, we get exposed to amazing different species when we, like, there's been a lot of studies that sort of compared kids who grew up on farms versus kids who grew up in cities. And the kids who grew up on farms have like way more diverse gut microbiomes. So like those types of exposures are really, really important. So what do you do when you're trying to do all those things and it's, it's it's not like you have to muscle through a and you shouldn't you shouldn't have to muscle through a transition time like if it's really making you miserable you can pull back and make changes more slowly but if it's really making you miserable there's there's some interesting ways that you can approach it so in TD's case right basically complete carbohydrate intolerance um what do you do because our gut bacteria help us process those carbohydrates. And when you're missing those types of bacteria, you can't process those carbohydrates. When you don't have those types of bacteria, typically uh, those types of bacteria, when they're processing carbohydrates, they lower the pH of the intestines, which um, the more acidic intestines will actually make an environment more conducive to important probiotic species that are sensitive to the pH of our guts. And pathogenic strains don't like acidic environments. So they will tend to be killed off just based on the fact that good gut bacteria are fermenting fiber and making things like short chain fatty acids and lactic acid and these other organic acids that they make. Okay. So if you don't have those species when you consume their substrate and you don't have those guys to break it down, that can lead to a really strange metabolic environment inside the gut. So the gut bacteria that are there will often make metabolites, right? They'll, they'll still eat what, what you're feeding it, right? So we have plenty of bacteria can metabolize um, amino acids and protein and they can use protein for fuel, but when they're using protein for fuel, they're making more carcinogenic compounds. That's the link between uh, meat and cancer. It's mediated through the gut microbiome. It's why in all of the mechanisms linking meat consumption and cancer, if you're eating lots of vegetables at the same time, there's no link anymore because the vegetables completely negate all of those mechanisms because it's mediated through the gut microbiome. So um, so if you really can only eat you know, protein and fat – you're not supporting the growth of these carbohydrate-utilizing bacteria that make the environment for a diverse and healthy gut microbiome. So where do you start? And this is why Just Thrive is such a symbiotic, <laughs> to, to uh, use a, a gut microbiome term, but it, it, it's such an um, excellent sponsor for, for this week's podcast, Tackling This Question, because provided we run everything past our doctors first, because that's a really important disclaimer, Addressing the gut environment can make the gut environment more hospitable to the bacteria that break down carbohydrates, which means that the carbohydrate tolerance increases. And that's one of the reasons why bacillus are so fantastic. So uh, not all bacillus species, um, but certainly, um, you know, some have been identified as what are called keystone species. So a keystone species, it's sort of a a uh, ecological niche type term. And it's used not just in the gut microbiome, but it's used in any um, environment in, in which there is a community of species that grow. A keystone species is one that 
alters the environment in an essential way such that the environment supports the growth of other species. So, for example, when I was on the fifth grade sleepaway field trip with my oldest daughter last year, we learned that alligators were keystone species in the swamp because they um, roll in the mud and make these areas of the swamp deeper, which allows them to fill up with water, which allows different plants and turtles and other kinds of, of of wildlife to grow. And if you didn't have the alligators to make those areas deeper for more water, you would just have mud and you'd have all of these species that wouldn't be able to grow. So bacillus are like alligators, but like really great alligators (laughs) for the gut bacteria. I'm realizing now after the fact that I probably should have picked a different example of a keystone species because saying bacillus is like an alligator does not sound good. So I'm trying to make it sound like, but they're good alligators. But then are the alligators eating your friends? No, no. They're they're like good alligators. The alligators are no. your friends? No, no, you see, this is this is where I went wrong. Yeah. Are you alligators are you are sure? Friends. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should have picked oysters. Um there's a little bit of a difference. Are also a keystone species. Okay. All right. <laughs> Cockroaches, maybe? Is that a keystone? I do not know if cockroaches are a keystone species. I, I really only understand the Georgia coast wildlife because of this sleepaway field trip in terms of keystone species. <laughs> <laughs> so I really only have alligators and oysters as examples to go to right now. And I really should have gone with oysters instead of alligators. I, f- I feel like I get it better. Okay. I want to be friends with cute little oysters, but then I want to eat them. So... Okay, so maybe maybe I just should skip the analogy and go straight to keystone means <laughs> it holds everything together like a keystone in an archway. Booyah, found it. I think maybe the problem is I don't understand that word. Like I feel myself like that guy with the lisp in Princess Bride. Like I don't think that word means what I think it means. It means- okay. <laughs> So in the old stone archways that they built uh, hundreds of years ago, there was a, they, they, right there have this shape. Can you picture like an old stone archway in like a super old church or something like that? And there's this one stone in the top of the arch that is shaped typically kind of like V-shaped or like kind of a weird trapezoidal thing. And that stone is actually, they have people hold up the rest of the arch. And then once that stone is put in place, everyone can let go. And that stone is actually holding together the entire arch because of the geometry of all of those stones. And that stone that's holding together the entire arch is called a keystone, which is where the term comes from when you talk about keystone species, because they hold the entire environment together. I feel much better about this analogy. It's way better than oysters or alligators. I get it. Okay. So. Bacillus, and then, then there's no competition with the friends. Right. You know. There's yeah. no. Um, Your pets. Right. There's no like life cycle aspect here that we need to be worried about. Because right, I was I was worried that the alligators are going to eat your pets and you need them both. And, it, you know, it just they weren't cohabitating well, but they are. And then. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Keystone. Get it. Okay. Keystone. We're good. 
So Bacillus subtilis is an example of a keystone species. And actually, Bacillus subtilis is one of the Bacillus species that are in Just Thrive Probiotic. Um, so one of the things that Bacillus sort of in general do that's really, really interesting is they actually produce a few different classes of antibiotics. They can produce up to almost 800 different antibiotics. And it's so much so there's like this whole field of research to try to understand bacillus-based antibiotics because they're super specific. It's not like penicillin that just kind of kills everything. They are these like antibiotic, they're uh, lipopeptides. So they're like part fat, part protein molecules. And they're super, super specific. And so different ones will like, this will just kill uh, like pathogenic E. coli. Um, some of them are like, well, this will kill these three things. But like there's all of these antibiotics. So bacillus actually... They do some really interesting things uh, because they um, – certain bacteria love bacillus poop. So like bacillus ferment uh, sort of carbohydrates and they can also present, uh, ferment some protein. What they make when they're fermenting is what other bacteria eat. So they, they're a really important species in sort of this um, – what's called bacterial cross-feeding. But they also make these antibiotics that basically – control the growth of undesirable strains. Like the, it's really, really fascinating that they very selectively say, you're a bad guy, you're a bad guy, you're a bad guy, we don't want you, you or you, but the rest of you guys, you're a-okay. And there've been some really interesting studies where they have supplemented with Bacillus subtilis and shown that incredibly important probiotic species like Lactobacillus acidophilus and Lactobacillus roidii actually increase. Uh, so they grow better when there's bacillus subtilis, which is why the Just Thrive probiotic has this capacity to actually grow these really important probiotic strains that aren't even in the, the capsule that you're taking. And it's because of this aspect of bacillus as a keystone species. There's also evidence that bacillus subtilis can drive this is this this is incredible to me it literally this one species of bacteria completely drives the restoration of microbial diversity after infection and stabilizes the microbiome so when you've just had a horrible stomach bug and you've been you know everybody out for three days it's bacillus subtilis which is very very resilient in a variety of different types of environments that in your gut goes, okay, we're 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 you know back in business, everybody, and controls, you know this this restoration that you know recovery back to your normal microbiome. So, Bacillus subtilis, super super cool, not the only super cool Bacillus. Uh, so the the species that are in, I would say there's probably seven or eight bacillus species that have been very well studied and have established probiotic benefits. The four that are in Just Thrive are particularly cool. So there's a specific strain of bacillus subtilis in Just Thrive probiotic called HU58. And uh, bacillus subtilis HU58 has been very well studied and it actually is known to um, block C. difficile, which is uh, that horrible, typically um, it's chronic diarrhea that's often caused from antibiotic treatments. 
Um, they also it also uh, kills Candida. It uh, is a very important immune modulator and an anti-inflammatory bacteria. So it specifically reduces like interleukin-6, which is one of the most important pro-inflammatory cytokines that our, our uh, immune systems produce to signal more immune systems. It's been shown to be beneficial in um, not just C. difficile infections, but also ulcerative colitis bacterial vaginosis, which means uh, what we, most of us will call a yeast infection. Most of the time, they're actually bacterial, not not actually yeast. Um, urinary tract infections and candida. Like, so both, you know, basically anything going wrong with the hoo-ha, bacillus subtilis is, is there. <laughs> it Just for the record, that made me giggle. <laughs> um, it... Uh, it decreases inflammation in the gut. It's known to improve digestion. It's known to um, decrease uh, pathogenic microbes. Um, it it's a really fat like it's just it's a it's a very well studied and very very fascinating species of bacteria. One of the other superstars that's in just thrive is another bacillus called Bacillus indicus HU thirty six. So that numbers and letters after uh, a genus and species names means a specific strain of a species or a subspecies. So it's, uh, it's considered sort of like a, um, it's like a, it's called a pigmented like version of Bacillus indicus. Um, and what's fascinating about it is that it produces all of these super antioxidant uh, phytochemicals that we want to like get from vegetables, like beta carotene, everybody's heard of, but it produces lycopene, lutein, astaxanthin, which we talked about in our sunscreen podcast because it's a natural uh, sun protectant that you can take as a supplement, but this bacillus makes it for you. And zeaxanthin, it produces um, quinols, which are various forms of um, like... Uh, it's, it's sort of like a weird hybrid series of molecules, variations of K vitamins, and also highly related to uh, like coenzyme Q10. Uh, so various versions of, of those uh, vitamin-like compounds. They produce tons of B vitamins. Um, and they are really also really, really important immune modulators, which means they're helping to control the immune system. Uh, Bacillus coagulans is also a really well-studied bacillus species. It's been shown to reduce gastrointestinal symptoms, including abdominal pain, uh, distension, bloating, uh, and uh, gas in um, various IBS-type things. Uh, it's been shown to reduce diarrhea. Um, it's also another one of these. So all of these bacillus make... Um, not just these antibiotics, but they make lactic acid, which is an organic acid, which lowers the pH of the intestine. And as I've already sort of explained, that actually support by itself, just lowering the pH supports the growth of probiotic species and suppresses the growth of pathogens. But Bacillus coagulans makes an antibiotic that also is specific against some really bad guys like E. coli, um, like Pseudomonas, like Klebsiella, which um, Klebsiella is a known um, autoimmune trigger. 
uh, like Staph aureus, which is horrible, like Candida. So it, it also has sort of been well studied to produce this like special antibiotic that is selective for like some of the worst types of gut pathogens. Um, it also has been shown to inhibit foodborne pathogens. So some of these like food poisoning type um, uh, bacteria that we can get, bacillus coagulans makes them not grow. Um, so it's, it's a very cool, again, sort of, it has this really big role in sort of inhibiting the growth of undesirable bacteria. And then the last strain is Bacillus clausii, which again is very, very cool. It seems to have a really important immunomodulatory effect. It has been implied to be beneficial in allergy. Uh, it's been shown to improve um, all of the digestive uh, side effects that come with H. pylori antibiotic treatment. It um, actually has a different group of bacteria that its antimicrobial products that it makes um, protect us against. So still Staph aureus, but also things like Clostridium difficile, C. diff. Um, and it also has this really, really important uh, sort of immune regulating standpoint. And then of course, all of these bacillus species are strong vitamin producers as well. Um, and we actually get um, like 80, 85% of our vitamin B6 comes from our bacteria. Um, almost all of our vitamin K2 comes from our gut bacteria. So at least about 90% of our vitamin K2 comes from our gut bacteria. Um, so, so like, and these guys are, are, are hugely important in that aspect of the the niche and and what's interesting is um i was at a talk at a conference and there was a very um enthusiastic md who who was talking there and he t said probiotics are like a monocrop for your gut which i thought was a very very interesting statement an interesting way of putting it and what he was talking about was you take a few billion, sometimes a few hundred billion, or if you're taking prescription level doses, you're maybe taking a few trillion bacteria that are maybe two, three, four species. If you're taking a lot of diversity, uh, you might be taking a probiotic that has 10 to 30 species, but you're not going to find anything that's more than that. And that's just a drop in the pan when you consider that a really healthy gut microbiome has between 1,000 and 1,500 different species of uh, bacteria living in it at any given time. So if you're going to overwhelm the system with a handful of different species, is, is that actually a good idea? And that's where there's a really big difference between the sort of standard probiotics of Bifidobacterium and Lactobacillus and something like Bacillus because uh, bacillus is actually creating this environment that can enhance um, gut health, that can enhance microbial diversity in the gut. And it's it's really about creating that biological niche where these other species are going to be able to thrive. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, one of the things that's really awesome about Just Thrive is that they are sponsoring these you know, double-blinded, well-controlled clinical trials to really test this particular combination of four species. So is, you know, is it better to just do one? Is it better to do four? Like what, what is the best scenario? And they, um, there was a paper that was published 
that was they actually used the um, the physician version of this um, probiotic. So it actually has one more strain in it, but the other four strains are the four that I just talked about, and it's actually the effects are attributable mainly to Bacillus subtilis HU58. Bacillus indicus HU36 and Bacillus coagulans. So it's a it's a very very relevant study. And what's really really cool is they what they did is they took they took uh, a group of uh, people, 100 people, young healthy people, and then measured basically their gut health by looking for metabolic endotoxemia. So they're actually looking for a leaky enough gut. That endotoxin, which is a, a bacterial toxin in the cell wall of gram-negative bacteria, which are things like E. coli, but there's also lots of sort of normal gram-negative bacteria that live in your gut. It gets from your gut into your bloodstream, and endotoxin, it's also more technically called lipopolysaccharide, is insanely inflammatory. So they were measuring the level of endotoxin in the blood along with a whole pile of inflammatory markers. So a whole pile of things to really look at uh, what was happening in terms of inflammation. Then they also looked at insulin. They looked at triglycerides. And what they found was shocking in the sense that almost half of those healthy young people actually had metabolic endotoxemia. So they actually had a leaky gut. And then what they did was they gave them either for 30 days, either uh, the probiotic or uh, a placebo, you know, I think it was like a rice flour pill. Like it was nothing. And in 30 days, the people taking the probiotic had a huge improvement in all of those markers showing that they had restored uh, gut barrier integrity. They had reduced inflammation. They showed a trend towards better uh, insulin responses. They um, showed uh better triglycerides, like all of their measurements were improved. And this is actually the first study where a probiotic has been shown to reduce a leaky gut and leaky gut associated immune activation in humans. So this is just one out of, I think, nine different studies that they have on the go right now. And they're able to attribute the results to, you know, three out of these four strains as being the ones that uh, are most effective for this particular condition. But I think that when you sort of pull all this body of literature together, it makes a very, very strong case for increasing exposure to bacillus as part of a larger protocol for recovering a healthy gut microbiome that can process carbohydrates. So taking it back to TD's question, again, I don't know if I can state this enough. We're talking about a supplement, which means talk with your healthcare provider first. Um, but uh, you could envision your healthcare provider approving a protocol that would look something like uh, taking the uh, Just Thrive probiotic um, and then working on a very, very gradual increase in vegetable intake, starting first with smoothies and with soups. There's benefits to raw and to cooked fiber. Um, but they're much, much easier on the digestive system if they're pureed um, or if they're vegetables that are thoroughly cooked. And that's because the fiber is partly broken down. Um, it actually is a little bit more accessible for our gut bacteria, so they can ferment them a little bit more easily. And when you're talking about trying to support the growth of species that 
have may, are maybe severely undergrown, that can be very, very helpful, um, as well as increasing exposure to those strains that will help seed the gut back with all, you know, there's like 30 nine, I think, different species of bifidobacterium and like 180 or something different species of lactobacillus, where you're going to get exposed to a huge variety of those species is in like raw fermented, wild fermented foods, like wild fermented sauerkraut, uh, things like kombucha or kefir, any other fermented vegetables. So using those as inoculation, uh, you know, and it can be a very small amount and move up very, very slowly. So you can literally start with a tablespoon uh, and then move up very slowly. And I think this would be also completely compatible within the framework of the autoimmune protocol, especially if TD, after listening to this episode, goes, oh, yeah, I do have HS that is autoimmune. That's probably part of what's going on here. Some of the foods that I didn't, you know, I didn't think were a problem, like cayenne peppers and nightshade, maybe that was the trigger there. Um, so you could do this within the framework of the autoimmune protocol, or if TD listens to this and goes, no, it's it's really just acne, and I, I really just need to work on the gut health part. You don't need to necessarily do it with that framework. Um, it would involve all of those, you know, major important things that I talked about at the top of the show, eating more seafood, olive oil, not too high fat testing for vitamin D. Um, one of the things I didn't mention is that our, our gut bacteria are also really sensitive to our hydration levels. So they really like us to hydrate. They do not like alkaline water. So that alkaline water fad is not actually based in science. They would far prefer us to have acidic water. So uh, like a, a simple you know, spring water that had maybe a little bit of apple cider vinegar or lemon juice in it. Um, they they do want us to drink enough water. They thrive when we are getting enough sleep or managing stress and we're active, but not overtraining. So all of those things together need to be worked on while very, very gradually upping uh, the exposure to vegetables, starting to incorporate more, you know, roasted, like other preparations than soups and smoothies. And uh, also trying to get a wide variety of fermented foods and ideally what TD would be doing is trying to stay or anybody, like anybody who's trying to recover, you, you could follow this type of protocol. If you have done a low FODMAP diet for a long period of time or gaps or SCD, or you did a ketogenic diet and you're realizing that your gut health, you know, it, it didn't do your gut any favors or a low carb diet for a long period of time. Ideally you would try to stay, um, as you're ramping up your vegetable intake, sort of below a symptomatic level or below a level where the symptoms are really uncomfortable. So if you feel like a little bit of belly distension, um, gas is normal. That's a sign of fermentation. But if the gas is really uncomfortable, that's not. Um, you know, diarrhea and constipation are not normal. So ideally, you would sort of stay below the level of causing those types of uh, GI symptoms that are problematic, right? Diarrhea, constipation, or an uncomfortable level of gas and, and bloating, um, while noting that GI sensations can be normal, right? Um, especially if you've had undergrowth, the feeling of things starting to grow and move properly can be really disconcerting. Like you can be like, oh, there's something like, feels like something's moving inside your, inside your intestines. That is actually like a normal sensation, but it can feel really weird if you haven't had it in a while. Um, you know, as I mentioned, 
flatulence is a, a normal thing because our gut bacteria produce gas as part of their metabolism of, of carbohydrates. Um, and so ideally you would stay at a level where the symptoms weren't horrible and you would move up slowly enough that you never pushed into bad GI symptoms. And that's also where a doctor's supervision is really, really important. Uh, they can help dial in. You might be layering food sensitivities on top of that. And I think this is also a really good place to emphasize that there are forms of gut dysbiosis that are not going to be fixed with probiotics and more vegetables and seafood. So there are things that could be going on that need to be you know, worked with a functional medicine specialist to diagnose. That would be things like parasites, severe dysbiosis, other infections like H. pylori. Um, even candida can be severe enough that um, changing diet is not, is not going to fix it, um, in which case you'd be looking at testing like um, SIBO testing, which uh, is typically done with a hydrogen methane breath test, uh, stool analysis, which is what would typically be detecting things like parasites or severe gut dysbiosis. And, and usually those test results are like if you have SIBO, uh, which would be an overgrowth of bacteria up in the small intestine, which can go with undergrowth of bacteria in the large intestine. Uh, so you can have a really weird mix of symptoms when that happens. Um, they would look at both of the data together. So like what types of species are growing that we can detect from stool analysis and where are they we can detect from the hydrogen methane breath test. And uh, then a, a functional medicine doctor would cater some kind of treatment to what's going on, depending on what species are overgrowing. If it's SIBO, either an antibiotic treatment is the best course of action or sometimes actually antimicrobial uh, botanicals are actually more effective. A good functional medicine specialist will know and will be able to, to guide you through that. Um, but then when you're going through that treatment, like probiotics and fermented foods and a microbiome supporting diet are still going to be part of that holistic approach to recovering gut health. So um, even if it's sort of not by itself enough, it may, you know, it's still going to find its way into a protocol. So uh, all of those things together are, are, and, you know, a little bit of patience um, and, and that very like big picture approach of it isn't just the vegetables because there's, there's other dietary factors that are impacting gut microbiome health. Um, the, the role of these really important keystone species, um, and understanding that, and also the role of the hormone environment, vitamin D levels, that's also crazy, crazy important. We kind of take that whole big picture together and have, have that, I think it's always important to sort of have that. What's, what's the, what's the, what's the goalpost? Where, where am I headed with this plan? And where we're headed with is a diet that is a, like a maintenance diet that supports a diverse gut microbiome where we're just eating a lot of vegetables on a normal basis and seafood and all of these other like gut health superfoods. Uh, and there are no symptoms associated with right gut dysbiosis like that that's the the finish line so it is uh, definitely achievable um and for i think especially a lot of our listeners tackling it from a probiotic and gradual changes in diet perspective is going to be plenty again checking with your healthcare provider first um but there is this other aspect where sometimes you really need to like bring in the experts and and do some more sophisticated digging than you can actually do on your own. 
it's fascinating to me how much it affects. I mean, you were on a roll for so long, but there were so many times where I was like, what? Wait, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. about all the different things. And, you know, the, the number one thing you and I are both into is things being backed by science. You know, we can make mm-hmm. all of the scientific hypotheses that we think about things, but until there are studies that actually show improvement and results, it's difficult to want to jump into something because you're not sure what else is it affecting or whatever. And I think while you have given 18,000 warnings about uh, taking supplements without a medical professional, I would say, you know, one of the things that as a user, I personally consider myself are um, how, how am I feeling? What are the things that could go wrong and making sure that I'm educated on that stuff so that I can listen to my body and I can figure out, okay, do, you know, how do I feel when I do certain things? Did and- you just say a do as I say and not as I do because I just took it without checking with my doctor? Did you just pull one of those? I would never. <laughs> never. I mean, maybe uh, your co-host did the exact same thing. I Listen, I was just telling you what I did okay. because I personally find the cost-benefit analysis to be greater <laughs> for (laughs) consuming a probiotic and listening to my body about how I feel. So, um, you know, everybody needs to, to do what works for them, depending on also, you know, how severe someone's health condition is. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like if I were TD dealing with the struggles and the severity to what she's dealing with, I would definitely seek a healthcare professional because years ago when I was having my thyroid crash from coming out of um, very low carb paleo for so long. And also my son was stopping nursing at the same time. I'd been pregnant and nursing for 10 years in a row. Um, and all the hormone changes that go along with that. And I wasn't giving my body what it needed to support all of that change. And so the crash was so severe, um, that I, I definitely sought the help of medical professionals and I took supplements for not having a gallbladder. And that's not something that we really talked about today because we were focused on, um, the gut health as it relates to probiotic support. But I also just want to be specific to TD's situation as she talks about not having a gallbladder. And one of the things that I have personally found is, um, necessary, especially as you transition back onto eating a variety of foods is digestive support. And mm-hmm. because you've been um, eating a diet that doesn't require as much stomach acid to break down the vegetables, your body is going to reduce your stomach acid production because it doesn't need it. And it it's like this response cycle. And so now if you do need it, you A, aren't producing as much and B, don't have a, a, de- a device to store it, which is essentially what the gallbladder is doing. And so for me in particular, I had an incredibly difficult time in the mornings because there was no storage of bile and my body was kind of like still working on digesting. And I still to this day need to be careful on what I eat for breakfast if I'm not eating digestive support supplements because I can't just jump into like a huge brunch, right? I have to yeah. eat a couple of little things in the morning or for me, what I usually do is have a cup of coffee that has collagen and heavy cream. And that gives me kind of energy that I need to get my systems going. And then like two hours later, I'll eat something. And that works well for my personal digestive cycle. So 
while 100% everything you've said is absolutely important, it's also there's a I think there's more going on, which is why in TD's particular case, talking to a medical professional who can ask specific questions about what her digestion looks like or feels like or, you know, the the what do your stools look like? You made me say it, Sarah, you made me say it, is, <laughs> is so incredibly important when you don't have a gallbladder. And, you know, I've talked to so many people who say, oh, I, you know, everything's fine. And I'm like, so you don't have loose stools. You're able to eat fried foods or bacon and you don't have loose stools. No, of course not. I have, I mean, it just runs out of me. <laughs> like, that's not normal. That's not a good thing. Um, and so if you're a person without a gallbladder and you're experiencing something like that, um, it's a matter of figuring out how to support your digestion. And there are supplements that will help with that, that go hand in hand with probiotics um, and things you can do to support increasing your own stomach acid production so that eventually you won't need as much of that potentially. I was even able to no longer need digestive support at all if I'm careful about what I'm consuming and when I'm consuming. So there is definitely light at the tunnel. It's not easy. It's frustrating. It's overwhelming. I was just thinking back to the blog post, Sarah, that I made when I was having that crash. And I remember taking a photo of like 70, what felt like 70,000 supplements on top yeah. of my coffee table, trying to figure out, you know, all the things that I was doing to support my body. And I think sometimes we do too much, right? Like some, I needed a medical professional to help me prioritize what are the things. And ultimately I ended up, you know, figuring it out, working with a professional, weeding it down and getting to a place where now I happily consume a lot of vegetables and don't have digestive distress, but it took a long time to work on that. And there were a variety of tests that I took with a medical professional to help me figure out prioritizing what those things were. So if we had a dollar for every time we said medical professional this episode, I feel like right. it's a drinking game. Like, did you just drink? Well, hopefully you're drinking tea after last week's episode and you <laughs> right. can just have a drinking game of every time we said it, just take a sip and you'll be, you know, full up on polyphenols by the end of the show. That's it. <laughs> um, I, I want to um, thank you for bringing up the aspect of, uh, not for TD not having a gallbladder. I'm going to throw this like one quick knowledge bomb at the end of this already very long episode that we should really wrap up. Um, but that there's actually a uh, crosstalk between gut bacteria um, and uh, like sort of the whole bile production cycle through the bile is produced in the liver and then it's stored in the gallbladder. And so how much bile we have is actually impacting gut microbiome composition and then our gut bacteria are actually impacting impacting how much bile is produced. Um, and then there's all of this like additional signaling. It um, interfaces into the cholesterol system. So when everything's working well, it actually helps to manage your blood cholesterol levels. Um, so your, your point of, oh, and hey, by the way, digestive support supplements, uh, very likely a good idea here. I'm going to reiterate healthcare professional just so that everyone has another sip of tea. Um, but there, there is this whole other side to it of supporting digestion can actually really help to propel that movement towards a healthier microbiome. I am not surprised at all that you found a way to spin that 
right around to a little <laughs> mu- gut microbiome health talk there, Miss right? PhD, just, Dr. Valentine. Super full of gut microbiome fun facts these days. <laughs> I know. All right. Well, we've given everyone a lot to think about and uh, take care of your pets. Give them love. Don't introduce them to a scary alligator. Evidently, it's a friendly alligator that likes doorways. I'm it's still not a quite sure. Keystone alligator. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not confused about what the heck Sarah's talking about, maybe go leave a review and tell her she's an awesome geek and we love her anyway. Um, <laughs> and make sure to connect with us on social media and share the podcast with people who you think would benefit or be interested to hear about it. We always love connecting with you. And so when we hear from you and social media or read your reviews, just know that you make my little tiny black heart grow a little bit larger. Um, And these days during the holidays, it's so appreciated. Thank you for once again tuning in. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's once again, maybe it's your first time and you're like, what is wrong with these weird women? (laughs) Um, And all I can say is just keep coming back. We just keep getting weirder and it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And for those of you who've stuck around through the long haul, we appreciate you as well. Thanks for tuning in. And we will, as always, be back again next week. I was waiting for you to like pause and then I was going to finish your sentence and it was going to be super dorky, but we didn't do that this week. So, so I'm just going to say thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite Paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Start again. Wait, wait. Do some jazz hands to get some energy back. Jazz hands. (laughs) I actually did it, and I feel like it made me more tired. (laughs) I did it, and it totally made me feel more energetic. So that's, I guess it's like jazz hands energy people versus jazz hands non-energy people, and that just divides the world. I don't know if that's what's dividing the world. (laughs) (laughs) Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.